Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Happy New Beer's Eve, listeners, and welcome to Movie Oubliette, the multi-continental podcast for forgotten fantastical films, with me, Conrad, doing a bit of house hunting just for a day out in Cambridge, UK. Ah, and me, Dan, actually going to the concert that I was supposed to be going to, (laughs) (laughs) down here in Melbourne, Australia. Great. We focus on sci-fi, fantasy and horror movies because we think no dinner party is complete without interdimensional travel, hallucinating on ketamine and bludgeoning someone with a toilet lid. Dan, (laughs) how are you? Hosted any dinner parties lately? No, 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 no. Uh, But we did go to that uh, concert that we were supposed to go to and it was incredible. (laughs) It was incredible, yes. Uh, I guess I can mention the artist. So it was Vera Blue and she was accompanied by the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. So just a magical performance, just, yeah. No words can describe how good it was. Oh, wow. I'm so jealous. Just the idea of seeing 100 musicians together on stage playing together. It just it must have been amazing. I can't even imagine mm. that happening. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's opening up completely now in Australia. I think we, we're back to 100% capacity in workplaces. Mm. Uh, masks are only needed on public transport and hospitals. Mm. And, yeah, it's uh, almost back to normal. Wow, I'm incredibly jealous. Whereas <laughs> here, for entertainment... I just go house hunting because although I can't have family visit me or spend time with friends, I am allowed to walk around a complete stranger's house with a mask on because apparently that's fine, probably because somebody stands to make some money out of it. But yeah, right, right, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fun. That's fun. Yeah, I guess it's, you know, born out of spending a year in your house. You start looking at it and thinking, yeah, either I redecorate or move because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm bored of this now. Yeah. So, yeah. So I've just been looking at a few places, possibly with an eye to having a dedicated podcasting room with a bit of soundproofing. Oh, Might yes. be fun. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Wow. Have we got any new (laughs) listeners peering into our podcast, Conrad? We do indeed, yes. I want to say a welcome to our newest patron, Eva, who messaged us to thank us for providing such great content to get her through quarantine. Isn't that a lovely thing to say? Oh, wow. That's so nice. I like the idea that we're helping to maintain sanity. Yes. Our soothing tones (laughs) getting people through the lockdowns. We also got some feedback on Outland, which was the subject of our previous episode. Uh, Jake Armistead said, One of my favourites from a director I feel is rather underappreciated. And I think that's something that we would agree with. Mm. Yeah, we've done a couple of Peter Hyams, and there's there's more in the Ubiet, sadly, so we may cover some more in future. Yes. Ben J. Grimm 64 said, Dang, I haven't seen Outland since I watched it in the cinema back in 1981. Wow. Always regretted not buying the amazing Steranko comic adaptation from Heavy Metal. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that you got comic book adaptations for one-off movies. It mm. sounds really weird rather than franchises. I guess uh, a different time. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, possibly wouldn't happen now. In reference to Andrew Ainsworth's spacesuit costumes for Outland, Glazy UK pointed out that they've seen later use in Red Dwarf. Have you ever seen that yeah. British TV series? Yeah. yeah, I watched as much as I could stomach because it gets very bad. <laughs> it does, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of the writers walked away and you can tell. <laughs> mm, yeah. You really can tell. But yes, he points out that uh, the Outland's 
spacesuit is what Lister is wearing when he's cleaning the outside of the spaceship oh, in the main titles. Wow. That's, so there you go. That's a great piece of trivia. It is, yeah. So thanks for telling us that, Glazy UK. And you'll be surprised to hear that we heard from one surge of Cold oh, Crash Pictures. Of course. Hey, <laughs> <A> Surge. Hey, <laughs> <A> Surge. <laughs> Who says Outland has impressive production design, good character moments, and there's something, I don't know, serene about the methodical plot progression. But I do kind of think it's anticlimactic, though. The hero's sort of invincible, but these were problems with High Noon as well. <laughs> right. So a guy in a desperate situation who needs help, and rather than the ending of the movie being everybody bands together and helps him, it's just like, no, he's fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just a flesh wound, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Serge also pointed out that the latest episode of Movie Oubliette, which delves deep into the production and history of this underrated cult classic from Peter Hyams, features not one but Two shout-outs to yours truly, so clearly it's probably one of their best episodes ever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? We need to mention Serge a bit more. Yeah, maybe three times. <laughs> <laughs> See if we can manage that today. Anyway, thank you everyone for getting in touch and please do carry on yes. commenting and sending us messages. We love to hear from mm. you. But in the meantime, I would love to hear from you, Dan, what we're going to get from the oubliette this time. Right. Yes, I will just go fetch it. Ah, oh, I'm outside. Oh. I'm a very dark, dimly lit street. Yeah, even the street lamps aren't on. Oh, I see the movie in a car. Oh. Uh, I don't have the key. Oh, I hope they don't mind this. You vandal. Oh. Oh my god. What is it? It's us, Conrad. Weird. But they're holding red glow sticks? Oh, run away. They're evil. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that isn't my husband. I killed him last week. Ah, oh, I'm back. Oh, welcome back. A lucky escape. So what do you have for us? Well, today we will be discussing the 2013 sci-fi film Coherence. Ah. I haven't seen that one. Well, I have. It's directed by James Ward Burkett, and it stars Emily Baldoni, Maury Sterling, Nicholas Brendan, Lorraine Scafaria, Elizabeth Grayson, Hugo Armstrong, Alex Minugin, Minugin and Ooh. Lauren Mayer. Ah, and what happens in it? Uh, well, on this fateful night, seven friends and... Xander from Buffy get together for a quiet <laughs> dinner party full of cheer, wine, good food, and maybe a whisper of ketamine. However, <laughs> dimensional paradoxes have other plans as a celestial object plunges the friends into a multiverse where doppelgangers of themselves threaten to unravel reality itself. Oof. Will dice rolled, assigned numbers, random objects, and strongly worded notes solve their <laughs> obstacles, or will something much more grim be in order? Ooh. We'll find out. Incoherence. <laughs> Incoherence. <laughs> oh yeah, that does sounds weird. <laughs> okay, we'll be back after this break, uh, and we will be joined by a guest. We will, yes, thank goodness. Hopefully they can unravel the incoherence. Yes. <laughs> Back soon. Our special guest today is a keen long-distance cycle tourist, dedicated couch surfer, and more importantly, the host of TV Trivia Pod, Brian Sheehan. Hello, sir. Hey, hey. thanks for Welcome. having me. Had a round of applause. Uh, that's, that's new. That's new. Thank you. <laughs> so how are you and how are things where you are? Uh, I'm great. I am close to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, United States. Mm. I'm a teacher in the area. It's exciting that uh, spring break is coming up at the time we're recording this. And mm. uh, we're about to begin our fourth quarter, which means only 25% of the year to go. Wow. Great, great. I have to ask, what, what do you teach? I teach chemistry. Oh. Cool. It's fun. 
I, uh, I do enjoy that a lot. And uh, in the rest of my free time, I love watching movies. And TV shows. Ah, yes, TV shows, the subject of your <laughs> podcast, which I have to say, I'd never come across this genre of podcast before. And when I listened to it, I thought, this is such a good idea for a format. I appreciate that. Uh, you're not familiar with, like, a, I guess, trivia podcasts? No, it had never occurred to me. And yet it makes so much sense that, for example, on a long car journey, what could be more fun than racking your brain trying to remember? the answer to some trivia question to one of your favorite shows. It's really entertaining. Uh, I have a lot of fun with mine. So uh, mine is called TV Trivia Pod, where I just ask trivia questions from TV shows. Uh, there are a good bit of trivia podcasts out there now that I guess I'm in that realm and I've done a little bit of research. Mm. For mine, I talk about the only thing that I know anything about, which is watching television shows. So <laughs> right now I've covered some of The Office, Rick and Morty, and The Boys. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, if those are shows you enjoy or, you know, uh, things you might know something about, you know, I, I usually say if you know the name of Morty's crush, the girl he has a crush on, or maybe the name of Michael Scott's self-made screenplay, <laughs> if you like answering questions like that, uh, this might be the podcast for you. Mm. I listened to a couple of episodes of the Rick and Morty yeah, Rick and Morty is very dense, so I could understand <laughs> so much trivia coming from that show. There is a ton, especially when we're getting into the interdimensional cable episodes yes. and things yes. like that. There's so much <laughs> random stuff all thrown together. Yeah, I, I think I found that I like doing these comedy shows more. I feel like uh, there's more to draw from each episode. Yes. Um, and it's just more fun to talk about, I think, in general, you know. Mm. But yeah, it's been, it's been a blast. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of interdimensional travel, uh, <laughs> the movie you have picked for us today is Coherence. Uh, did you want to start us off with how you came across this movie, uh, why you chose it, what sort of sparked your interest? This movie, Coherence, I thought was like a needle in a haystack, mm. uh, but I found it with my friends. Uh, we're really into sci-fi. We love being able to discuss a movie after we've seen it. Uh, what just happened? Can we explain it? Things like that. You know, things like, you know, The Matrix, Inception, uh, just to name a popular few. Mm -hmm. We stumbled upon this one and I guess kind of a genre called low budget, high concept, mm. where it's these kind of indie, cheaper made films that don't take a lot. As you've seen, this movie takes place in a single house, single in, I guess, uh, parentheses there. <laughs> but conceptually was just really cool. Uh, really enjoyed thinking about this movie. And uh, again, with these type of indie sci-fi movies, there are a lot of flops out there, but there are a lot of really cool ones too. So uh, mm. this was a lucky find for us. Yeah, mm. yeah. You mentioned how sort of like close, a small concept it was. It did remind me of movies like The Cube or um, Primer, which have very simple setups with like actors and, and locations, but yeah, more confusing <laughs> plots and outcomes. Primer is one that I still don't understand today, and I've seen the charts and <laughs> still can't make heads or tails of it. No, me neither. I think this one is very carefully worked out by the director, James Ward Burkett, he had a different start in the film world. He was a conceptual artist, storyboard artist, so he was probably most successful or famous for designing sequences in Gore Verbinski's Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Very cool. Yeah, and he co-wrote Rango. So he's used to conceptualising things and working out really complicated sequences. And I get the sense that this movie is very carefully thought out in the same way that Primer is but it doesn't seem to be quite as confusing, maybe, as Primer. Nothing for me has been as confusing as Primer. <laughs> uh, Tenet might be the next thing, mm. uh, Christopher Nolan's new movie. But I get Tenet, but I just can't figure out how all the pieces fit together, I think. Whereas I don't know if I even understand Primer. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this is the type of movie that I really enjoy where it is possible to think through things. We can put things together here in a way that makes sense to me. Mm. This was, again, a very well-written movie. They, they thought about a lot going into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I first heard about this movie from listening to another podcast called Ghoulish Cast. And the one of the co-hosts on it, Danielle 
was talking about this movie and how undiscovered it is. And I'd never heard of it. And, and when I watched it, it did have this really sort of low budget, sort of lo-fi quality to it. And very, like, almost immersive. Like, you felt like you were in the room listening to a conversation and you would flick this way and you'd flick that way as sort of conversations kind of overlapped. It's sort of a different experience. Yeah. I will say the first time I watched it, I was in my apartment and when things started happening, I just double-checked to make sure the door was locked. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I was getting really into it. <laughs> yeah, it almost has that found footage feel to it, but thankfully it doesn't take that approach because that had become quite tiresome, I think, by 2013, which was when this film was released. Although it does share, in terms of its methodology, a technique that was used in the Blair Witch Project, which is that it's a group of actors that are very good at improvising being given prompts, cards, where they know their character's backstory and they're just being told, you know, day one of filming, this is your envelope and these are the beats that you've got to hit. And the director knew the shape of the whole story, but the actors didn't. There was no script that they were reading before they went into it. They just knew that they were filming for five nights and they would be given an envelope at the beginning of each night. They'd be given plot points and speeches and they would riff on them together. And they had two cameras and they just filmed all of it very loose uh, so the actors could go anywhere that they wanted, do anything they wanted, as long as they were true to their character. So I just think with that kind of thing, it's a minor miracle that you end up with anything that's coherent at the end of it. Coherent. Oh, dear. Oh, man. <laughs> Pun not intended. I walked right into that one. But yeah. It, it really is. I did love stumbling upon that fact that there wasn't much of a script. There was things that we needed to talk about. Uh, act surprised when this happens again. Or mm. that was really cool. Yeah, it's clever. Yeah, and it must have taken a ton of editing, but it worked. Yes, mm. and I heard uh, the director kind of just let them go. And even if it was straying down a path that he didn't actually want to go, mm. that he didn't want to stop their flow. Yeah. So they would just act out a scene and then, you know, 10 minutes later after they've cut, he would be like, oh, let's try it again, but maybe don't cry or, you sure. know, <laughs> which is pretty amazing. Like having so much faith in the actors sort of delivering your scenes, not even how you intended them. And sometimes he would have to intervene because it really wasn't going the way that he wanted. So for example, when Hugh and Amir come back to the house, they wouldn't let them in for 45 minutes because they were frightened of them. Yeah. <laughs> and right. so he had to intervene and say, no, 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 no. You've got to let them in or the plot won't continue so <laughs> yes so yeah. yeah it just would have taken a different turn yeah mm. really would have done. <laughs> yeah i heard that uh one of the actresses didn't even realize it was gonna be like this sort of thriller sci-fi she thought it was a comedy yeah. <laughs> i didn't hear that wow <laughs> so it was like i think like three days in she thought oh improv it's gonna be a comedy right <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> One of the things that I'd be interested to talk about is the improvisational acting style. It does have its benefits. It feels very dynamic. It feels very real and spontaneous. But at the same time, I do think it has its downfalls. It does feel as though the characters are just a bunch of people who have been thrust together who haven't really met each other, which is not what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be old friends and some of them are supposed to be married. But sometimes I did get the feeling that they weren't very familiar with each other and they would only refer to things that one of them had said earlier on in the improv for that scene. Was that something that you found? I have actually uh, watched a lot of improv comedy. Mm. So I do see those kind of reacting to a thing yeah. that you would often see in improv comedy. And I did find maybe the reactions were a little bit too obvious as well. Yeah. And also just the constant, I'm going to go back to the house. It's like, no, you've just been to the house. Like, stop going to the house. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all go outside again. <laughs> that panned out well last time. Like, don't go outside again. So, yeah, I did find, like, maybe some of the reactions could have been less natural. But I did really connect with the conversational style of acting. Mm. It just seems so relatable. But there were, I don't know, a few plot points that I would like 
question. Mm. Like how Mike would jump from, oh, there's another one of us. I'm going to kill my other self. Like, what? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> how did you come to that conclusion? You know, I, uh, I thought it was quite a jump, but I want to say maybe around that time he was starting to think about drinking or something, which we find out he has an alcohol problem, uh, takes it a little too far and maybe becomes violent because of it. Mm. This was something that he could see himself doing, so... Spoilers, right? If you're listening to this, hopefully you've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> His other self maybe just started drinking, maybe he's a little woozy, maybe get him before he starts drinking and gets violent. You know, at one point we see him attack himself, yes. right? So So he is right. His fears come true. Yeah. I, I can see that with uh, some of the reactions seeming a little unnatural. I believe there was another point in there where Mike admitted to cheating on his wife with his friend's wife mm. and he got decked mm. and his wife said like let me get you an ice pack or something where you know maybe she would have been a little angrier yeah <laughs> you know having maybe just found this out yeah, yeah. actually come to think of it in terms of improv improv comedy you're often given like a prompt mm. when you kind of know that this movie was improv I can see the prompts now mm. like the book is a prompt the book is a really bad one the box is a prompt mm. the comet is a prompt you know these are things that they're given to kind of riff off and yeah you can kind of see that now you can and sometimes it works like the character that's given lots of comet stories to talk about does a pretty good job of reeling off the comet stories yes. and even correcting somebody else that tries to tell one yeah that's our main character m who corrects hugh but there are other times when you can tell that the actor's been a little bit lazy and hasn't memorized their prompt card very well because they will just say something like do you have any physics books in the house? And Mike is saying, I'm an actor. No, I don't. And somebody says, oh, there was a book your brother left and <laughs> yeah. I wrapped it up and put it in the back of the car, but yeah. I can't remember what it is. And you think, no, that's too vague. That's far too vague. You need to have said, oh, your brother left a physics book. You know, something a little bit more, but she clearly forgot what it was. There was so much business about going to get this damn book and they didn't even know what it was before they got it and then it turned out to be an expositional bible pretty much for the rest of the movie mm. <laughs> so yeah that one i found a bit clunky and it kind of burst the bubble a little bit for me for a while it did seem i guess kind of like a long shot again that this book seemed to address the issue at hand mm lucky <laughs> we know that hugh's brother knows something about what's going on because his brother said you know like call me if weird things start happening you know like mm. his brother knows something yeah. yeah i did find the book yeah it did explain a lot but i didn't really understand the importance of it after mm. they read it like they were trying to hide it and then the other hugh and amir took the book and then there was the business about the car and, and it, i don't know it just seemed like a lot of importance about something that wasn't really that important yeah i think it was because they were trying to hide all the expositional information from the other houses because then they wouldn't be taking the actions that they were taking so i think the book made them believe that after the comet passed right now we have these two realities that they're kind of stuck on the idea that there are two uh me versus them mm. and that after the comet passes they will collapse into one and the book uh, they got the idea that we don't want to be the ones to be collapsed upon maybe we should like go attack them or something so that <laughs> we are the ones left over that uh we are the alphas here and i think that's why they wanted to hide the book so that the other house wouldn't get the idea to attack them i, I think that's where most of the book stuff came in mm, right what was really shocking i guess about this movie because you figured out pretty quick that there were like doppelgangers but mm. then the moment we figure out there's even more realities it's not just one it's like 10 or 20 infinite amount of realities yeah. overlapping then it just really blows your mind i quite like it early on when it they just think that it's like house a and house b and they're using those glow sticks because the power's out and one of them's blue and one of them's red yeah. and it's kind of like blue and red lightsabers in star wars so you immediately think the red ones are evil oh, yeah you see them on the street and start running away that all of that kind of stuff is quite self-contained and fun although i do find it a bit frustrating that they never actually speak to their doppelgangers i think 
when they get back, somebody says, and you didn't say anything to them? And I thought, yeah, "Yeah, why don't you speak to them? I think it would be really interesting. It's almost like they're worried that Doc Brown's theory about what happens when you meet your double in time might come true, that the whole universe collapses or you faint. Mm. My my theory is it's just it would have been impossible improv wise oh yeah they wouldn't have been able to film it no. yeah yeah to <laughs> act with yourself in a scene that hasn't been filmed yet no improved <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, yeah i think that was just uh, technically just impossible yeah i would have loved to have more interactions between the doppelgangers and more sort of trying to figure out between the doppelgangers like trying to figure out how they were going to get out of it but they never interacted really apart from like uh, mike getting sucker punched by his twin by his twin we haven't talked about it mike is played by xander from from buffy Buffy, the vampire slayer (laughs) and he's really good in it i think he's great at improv he's very funny lots of callbacks to earlier things like the running gag about the ketamine (laughs) but he's playing a character that's a little bit close to the bone i thought because he's an actor who's in a dry spell he was on a tv show for several years he says it's roswell which is a real tv show but Nicholas Brendan was never in it and he's having problems with alcohol, substance abuse and you think, gosh, this is a bit close to the bone for Nicholas Brendan to play because this is all things that he's experienced himself personally and also dealing with issues of kind of hating himself, Mm. really, which he has talked about. Wow, I did not know all that was going on for him at the time you know, Mm. and I I do feel like for the most part, they say that, you know, that lies come from simple truths as well, you know, you, you start with something that's true and then expand upon that and mm. even with actors and uh we see a lot of actors in different movies but playing these similar characters that you have to imagine are what they kind of are like in real life uh, mm. all the tom cruise movies are we've seen this character before <laughs> the same with leonardo dicaprio i'm pretty sure he yeah. makes that same uh glaring face in shutter island as he does in inception mm-hmm. you know uh <laughs> we've seen these faces in different movies and i, I wonder if that's something that might have uh helped play that part Mm. although also confront some maybe uncomfortable truths that i might try to avoid in a movie yeah Mm. i think i think you're right i think the director kind of tried to not really play it safe but play it a little bit safer to have the characters kind of not base it on themselves but even the fact that a lot of the characters are their names yeah so emily baldoni is m and then you've got lorraine scafaria is Lee, Elizabeth Grayson is Beth, um, Hugo Armstrong is, is Hugh. So, like, I think it's a way for them to still improv easily without getting confused by... Still maintaining their identity. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. But it also plays into this doppelganger theme that you have running throughout the movie. It's kind of an intertextual thing. So the movie plays with everybody having these doppelgangers and they're kind of playing doppelgangers of themselves in the movie. Mm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> One thing that I heard the director say in a talk or um, interview where the first divergent point Mm -hmm. is actually at the start when Em is parking her car. Right. So she's actually going into a house that maybe not even the house that she's supposed to be going to. Right. And that's why one of the characters doesn't remember Mike being in Roswell. Because she's from a different parallel universe, and he's from a different parallel universe. Oh, my God. So the original house (laughs) is not even the original house, which blows my mind. My mind was already blown by M looking at all the numbers and realizing, sort of at the beginning of the third act, I think, that nobody is from the original house apart from three of them. Yeah. But even she's probably in the wrong place to start with. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess... That thing from the beginning just blew my mind. That's crazy. (laughs) But I want to say most of the times when they were traveling, they did it together in a pack. Mm. But I guess there was that one time when maybe they all checked on their cars. Yeah. And then from that point, it's game over. Yeah, Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. There are some really creepy moments in there, too. I particularly like the scene where M bumps into Kevin, who is her other half. And they just have this exchange that makes her realize that he is the wrong 
wrong Kevin. Mm. And they just look at each other and slowly back away. And it is so disturbing. And it I is. have no idea why. Yeah, it is very disturbing. And, and, and when she figures out the numbers don't correlate and they start saying they're random object. So in the box, they all roll a dice and they have corresponding numbers to their name and then they put a random object in and everyone shouts out a completely different random object yeah and it's yeah creepy (laughs) that was really cool and there was a scene when i think they first started realizing it um when lee and beth are talking about a plant that she got in her kitchen from a thrift store Mm -hmm. and lee backs away and you know the music gets a little tense and i'm like i know she just realized something but i'm not sure what I did have to go back to the beginning of the movie where Lee and Beth say the same exact thing. Right. But apparently they didn't realize it mm. here. And now M knows that this is not her, Beth and Lee. Yeah. Mm. And uh, when Hugh and Tamir pull out the red glow sticks, I'm like, oh, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. And what is it about doppelgangers that we find so disturbing? I mean, I looked this up today, what it is about twins and doppelgangers. And all, all I can find are all these Freudian things about uh, being terrified of not being unique, uh, of there being another part of you that you can't control almost. Because I think, Dan, you said that there was a whole bevy of these yeah. doppelganger movies. So I looked it up because I, I there were a couple of movies that sprung to mind, The Double and uh, Enemy. Yeah. And they both came out the same year that Coherence came out. Really? So, <laughs> wow. I guess, yeah, all three <laughs> movies came out in 2013, which is just insane. That <laughs> I, I guess that's, that's how it goes. You know, Armageddon and Deep Impact came out the same year. Mm. It's synchronicity, I guess. But yeah, I, I think the idea of not feeling like you are the only one is the scary thought. It's, it's similar mm. to movies like The Island. Mm. Yeah, that, that feeling of not feeling like you're an actual person, I guess. Mm. Interesting uh, segue there. I just started watching Orphan Black. Oh, right. yes. Another yes. uh, another cloning one. Yeah, I I have to imagine too that part of the fear there. I I don't right now. I feel like meeting someone that looks exactly like me would kind of be cool, or even meeting my twin uh, would you know sometimes sounds exciting to me. Depending on the situation, I think. But in this movie too, the power got shut down. You know, uh, there's all the lights on the street are dark. You know, they're already in kind of a tense situation, mm, yeah. and then all of a sudden, this kind of weird stuff starts happening. Does not help. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was just aware that in other contexts, bumping into another version of yourself has been sort of comedic or fun rather than terrifying. Multiplicity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in The Time Traveller's Wife, in the book, not in the film, they didn't they didn't go as far as to depict this in the film, but in The Time Traveller's Wife, there's even an episode where a teenaged version of The Time Traveller has an intimate moment with another teenage version of himself because teenagers i guess <laughs> um <laughs> it's the ultimate form of vanity i suppose but yet it's often presented in a comedic way a lot of the time whereas here it's terrifying and the director's talked about that in terms of it being one of these things where you project the worst version of yourself onto your doppelganger it's all of your worst fears being projected you know the worst thing you would do oh. so you immediately assume that the other version of you would do that right. and that's the direction that Mike goes in to the point where he becomes homicidal and Nicholas Brendan's twin brother has to burst into the room and deck him. So that's fun. (laughs) I never realised he had a twin. That's such a trump card to pull out. Yeah, I mean, I remember looking through the cast of that and, you know, uh, a lot of them I recognise as, oh, this must be this person's double for maybe when we see him across the street Mm. or uh, a quick bump in or something. Or or I thought the same thing for this... uh, quick time where he came in and punched himself uh i I just thought that was the person on the floor was the double because we saw the face of that mike as he backed up and we didn't see our mike and i figured had to be a double i mean the same thing happens with a m she only interacts with herself towards the end of the movie more violently but Mm. you know we see the hair and you know nothing else yeah exactly it's quite handy, isn't it, having a twin in situations like this? I remember when Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2, when they needed scenes where the T-1000 would imitate her and show up and they would need two of her on screen, she suddenly raised her hand and said, yeah, I have a twin sister. Would that be useful? Wow. I 
ever uh, do that. Yeah. Did not know that either. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Leslie Hamilton. Yeah. Showed up, put on her sister's clothes, played the T-1000. I think she's in a couple of shots, actually. I think she's in a mirror shot as well. Oh, wow. That's that's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. Cheap special effect. <laughs> <laughs> but better than putting CGI over somebody's face like they do in some of the new movies and stuff. Like, yeah, yes. that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. We should talk about the ending. How did you guys like the ending? I liked it. I would have liked to see what happened after that. I think that in her situation, that was a totally reasonable decision to make. So we all know that about this reality thing going on at this point. All the characters do. And she decides to go through as many times as she can till she can find one she's happy in and then take her place. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, I thought that was an interesting way to end it. I think in her shoes, I might have taken a few more permanent actions to make sure I was the only one. Yeah. Yeah. So so she drugs herself mm -hmm. and then lets her drugged self roam free. I believe she put her in the trunk of her car. Yeah. But she still comes back, doesn't she? Yeah. Again, not sure if that's her or maybe another. That's true. It could be another one. Could be. But yes, she does somehow get into the bathroom there and uh, gets hit with that toilet lid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love I love her at that scene because it's, it's very tense. The music's going and then the lights start flashing because that's what happens in movies. And it's just like an assistant going flick, 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 flick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like somebody's mum trying to break a fight up, like just turning the lights on and off. Yeah. <laughs> like Marge Simpson. <laughs> what about you guys? I, I, yeah, I really like the ending uh i thought it was a bit expected and a little bit like almost like tapped on it felt much more written and planned out i guess as opposed to the rest of the improv i did really like the end end where you know kevin gets a call from herself but it's her other self and so there are two m's in the same universe which was like amazing but that's such a, a short film ending you know like a cliffhanger it's like oh and then credit. Like, <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> but they always do. Yeah. Right. It does feel as though the movie shifts gears into more of a scripted thriller for the last 15 but, minutes. I or mean, so. they kind of needed, they needed an ending. Yeah. You know? They wanted something definitive. Yeah. And it is set up at the beginning. I mean, this conversation about a moment in M's professional life as a dancer where she spent all this time preparing this production and at the last minute they switched her out for another dancer. Mm. Somebody says, oh, this woman, Catherine Maris, has your life. Yeah. Wow. And she has this whole thing about how she doesn't make decisions like her boyfriend Kevin's asking her to go away with him. He's got a job in another country or something and she can't decide whether to go with him or not and is hesitating. So there's this ex-girlfriend that's sort of circling, trying to take her life again. Mm. So yeah. at the end... She she takes charge, goes on a shopping spree, finds a life that she likes, yeah. and then smacks the other version, the understudy, in the face with a toilet lid and tries to take yeah, it. Yeah. So it's progress, I guess? Yeah, it's a character <laughs> arc, yes. Yeah. yes. Uh, it's funny when she was going through all the different houses, picking the best one. Hmm. Uh, I watched it with my wife and she said, oh, she's going window shopping, like literally. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool, that uh, that connection you drew there with this uh, doppelganger thing. She has your life, That that's some pretty cool connections there. Mm. There are lots of them in the script. I mean, even just simple lines, like when Amir is leaving the house the first time, you hear him in the back background shouting out something like I couldn't find my shoes so I'm taking yours oh. so he's gonna walk a few miles in Beth's shoes mm. they're improvising but the stuff they're coming out with is really on point in terms of the theme of the movie yeah yeah and also even though the film was improvised there were a lot of planned out themes and ideas like the fact that they go through the door that is a door to nowhere you know it's a, oh, a yeah. portal <laughs> even at the start where um M is talking on the phone. She says, oh, I have to park. I have to parallel park. It's like parallel, parallel dimension park. Is that <laughs> Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, and there's the scene where Beth complains about Mike. He's not the man I married, <gasps> which is a direct link back to the Finland comet story uh, that yes. was told earlier yes. on in the dinner party about the woman saying this man isn't the man I married I know that because I killed him yes. <laughs> and yes. he's back again so something's wrong here Yeah, there are all these connections throughout the movie it's quite dense, actually. It's mm. really fun to watch multiple times, I would say. Yeah, this is the second time I've watched it, and I enjoyed it just as much the second time. Mm. There is a lot of 
things that you don't notice. Yeah. yeah, this is my third overall time, and apparently still a lot I haven't noticed, you know? like Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's a fun movie. Now it's time for Random Trivia! Okay, Dan, usually this is the part of the podcast where you wow us with a piece of previously uh, uh, unheard trivia about the movie, probably read on Wikipedia. Not all the time. But this time, (laughs) (laughs) giving away the secrets, but this time, as we have Brian here from the TV Trivia Pod, we thought it'd be fun if Brian quizzed us with some trivia from the movie. So uh, with much trepidation, go for it, Brian. I don't think I'm going to get any of these right. (laughs) All right. Starting with question number one here. What's the main ingredient people are worried about in Beth's concoction? (laughs) Oh, that that would be the ketamine. (laughs) That would be the ketamine, yes. Yes. I was thinking, what, what if the movie was that they were all drugged? And that was the, yeah. the twist of the movie. And they mentioned that at some point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Beth, did you drug the food? That is one of the it tense been scenes. A very different type mm. of movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're all tripping. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the actor friend Mike acted in a show called What and played what character? In the movie, he's supposed to be in Roswell. Oh, yes. Which yes. he wasn't. But I don't know which character he played. Didn't he just like, say I was one of the main guys? I can't remember if he specified who it was. It was like Joe? Was it Joe? Joe is correct. Ah, well yeah. done. <laughs> well done. Because it didn't seem like he could even remember. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like he was trying to pluck it out of thin air. <laughs> All right, I got two more here for you. What does the girl with glasses, or, or Lee, uh, what does Lee say is the most common dog name? Oh, it's Bear. <laughs> Bear, yes, that's right. I don't believe that. That's a lie, surely. It seems unlikely. It's got to be Spot. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I can't imagine calling my King Charles Cavalier Bear. I don't think I'd be able to pull that off. (laughs) As a dog owner that frequents the dog park, uh, I have to say Ollie and Chloe are the most common dog names that I have really interesting. In All right. in My Australia. dog's called Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> I've met so many Chloes. Oh, wow. Wasn't very original, obviously. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, maybe your last question, Les, this one might be too hard. I believe it was only mentioned once or twice. What is the name of the comet? <gasps> oh. oh, that is a good question but pretty important, you know, to... Oh, I don't know. Yeah. It's crucial. I, d- I think you've stumped us. Yeah. What is the name of the comet? It is Miller's Comet. Oh. oh. It must have some significance. Yeah, surely. Well, good questions, Brian. Hey. Good questions, yeah. Thank that you very fun. much. <laughs> <laughs> We should have you back every episode just to ask us questions. (laughs) (laughs) And that's our trivia. I have heard people point out similarities between this movie and uh, the Dogma 95 way of filming. So using only what you get on camera pretty much and Mm. straying away from uh, filters and effects and stuff like that. Mm. The crew was so small, just two cameras, two sound people, and that was it. Wow. Yeah. It's impressive. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. It might be interesting from your perspective, Dan, as a sound designer, when the director said on the commentary that he wasn't too worried about the image, that he knew he could play sort of fast and loose with that and it could look a little bit sort of shaky and unprofessional and in the focus shifting and all this. But the sound had to be good, that an audience would tolerate Mm -hmm. a stylistically amateurish visual as long as the sound is good. Yeah, Interesting. I mean, I guess at that point we have uh, what Blair Witch Project and Cloverfield with our shaky camera. I Mm. I remember rewatching Cloverfield kind of recently and feeling like I almost got sick with Mm. uh, how much the camera moved there, where this more has, I guess, kind of like a vibe, like The Office. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they did a really good job with what they had. Yes. Yeah. And also, uh, I feel like sound grounds 
a picture mm. as well. So you can have shaky, blurry images, and as long as you can hear everything and you can figure out sonically what's going on, mm. it doesn't matter so much what's on screen. Because I, I mean, I've worked with films before where, like, visually, it's just a mess. It's just so many cuts, it, it just doesn't make any sense. But if you've got the sound telling the story, then it's fine. Yeah. But yeah, I did find some of the close-ups in this. There's a lot of close-ups mm. in this movie. Like so much so that I'm just like, oh, I wish this actor would just step this way <laughs> uh, so I could actually see what's going on. But I guess the director was trying to utilize the space and sort of create this sort of intimacy in terms of the group of people. Yeah. When you say that, I, I the first scene I think of is the one where Lorraine kind of... Uh, finds Kevin alone and to talk to him and sneak that kiss with him. Mm. And I believe, I think the camera is again, one of those like really close, but I, I guess, you know, this was supposed to be kind of like a secret moment. Yeah. I guess maybe that does play into the, uh, the closeness of the shooting there. Yeah. yeah. I think also the impetus to make this movie as well was the fact that I think at the time, the 5d Canon digital SLRs had just come out. So like they could film a movie digitally with the smaller camera and they could get it up close and personal and intimate without being too sort of intrusive of being the crew with the <laughs> camera. Yeah. So that's why, yeah, some of the shots aren't perfect and a bit shaky and mm. a bit dark and a bit grainy. Yeah. And what did we think of the music by uh, Kristen I'm not sure how you pronounce that at all. But a lot of people don't realise that there's much music in it at all. And yet it's pretty much fully scored throughout the entire movie. And I did notice it the second time that it is always there creating this atmosphere, but it shifts between creating just sort of a sonic texture there, mm. a sort of underlying sense of tension the whole time, rather than the sort of more showy pieces like the bathroom attack and the window shopping sequence, which is probably the, the ones where you really notice the music. Mm -hmm. I really liked it. I thought it worked really well. I guess it does feel really natural. Like you said, uh, I can't remember hearing it stand out too much. Uh, like you said, the whole movie was almost scored and I barely even acknowledged that, I guess. And I think it fit with everything really well. I think there was a really nice smoothness to everything that the music, you know, aided there in mm -hmm. what was happening in the scene. Yeah. yeah. I didn't notice the music at all, actually. No. <laughs> when I watched it. So I guess it did its job in sort of creating a mood and, and tension. I did read that um, a lot of the music was just recorded vocals and toy instruments. Mm. And the composer, she just manipulated it and, you know, reversed it and put heaps of effects to make it sound a lot more ethereal and strange. Wow. But uh, yeah, mm. it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's really creative. It's fun to listen to on its own, actually. I was listening to it today while I was working and it was... Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> it's on Apple Music or Spotify if you want to listen to it. It's there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. There, there's not a lot of... Uh music these background noises for movies that i really remember you know it's it's like oh pina colada that's from guardians of the galaxy mm. you know like i i remember music like that the only other time i can recall remembering music is from requiem for a dream oh mm. yes that piece. yeah there's some tense music in there that still makes me shiver if i hear these songs being played and i just switch to the next one i'm like this is too <laughs> i i know yeah. uh, this was a lot <laughs> but this it did feel i guess really natural i i liked how everything worked in this movie yeah. yes does create a very <laughs> coherent experience oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, there it goes again <laughs> oh man Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Movie Awards! Hey, hey, it's the Movie Awards, it's just me and Conrad. Uh, it's where we present our favourite doppelganger parts of the film in a number of Schrodinger cat mind-melding categories. <laughs> Best quote. I did really like the explanation of Schrodinger's cat because that's something mm. I've never really had explained to me as simply as they did in the film. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> me as being very slow-witted, uh, thank you. <laughs> I now understand that concept. 
What was your favorite quote? Uh, my favorite quote comes from、uh, Nicholas Brendan as Mike or Zander, as I cannot help but think、mm. of him. <laughs> Bless、yes. him, because he just has such great timing. Although I have to say, I didn't think it was very wise for him when his friend Hugh has just realized that he's had a relationship with his wife. He's arguing that there's like different realities at play, and Mike says. If there are a million different realities, I have slept with your wife in every single one of them. <laughs> Seems、yeah. like totally the wrong thing to say, Mike. Way to de-escalate the situation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no wonder you get a broken nose. Best hair or costume? My favorite was Zander again. It's just he's wearing a waistcoat or a vest、oh, if you're、yeah. an American. And I just, I just love a good waistcoat. Whenever、oh, I see、yeah. a man in a movie who's not at a wedding wearing a waistcoat, I appreciate it. I yeah. often yeah. wear them myself. So、yes. that was my favorite. How about you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah nothing really stood out.、Uh, it was, it was very natural, very normal, well dressed, normal people. Yeah. Having a dinner party, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Most 2010s moment. The most 2010s part of this film was when someone asked if they had a landline, and they didn't. <laughs> Because I haven't had a landline since 2008, I think. Wow.、Um, so yeah, it's always really confusing for me when there's a recent movie where someone uses a landline because I just don't see them anymore. Wow. Now, see, I do still have one,、yes. and it's purely for the reason that、um, I don't know. I just feel like it's a good backup to have、uh-huh. because you will still be able to call an ambulance with it, even if the cell towers are down. Yeah, that's true. There you go. That's true. There you go. Not <laughs> in my house. <laughs> <laughs> What was your、uh, most two thousand tens part of this film? Well, I was going to say the use of the Canon five D, because right, it was kind of seminal. You know, we were just kind of shifting over from thirty five millimeter film, physical film, onto digital filming, and the red camera in the early two thousands being used, like on the Star Wars movie, and just the emergence of this SLR that was capable of HD. Video recording,、mm. it just unleashed this whole wave of very very low budget independent filmmaking and made films like Coherence possible. Yeah, opened up a whole new range of filmmaking. Yeah, favorite scene.、Uh, my favorite scene is M Window shopping for her favorite cozy reality that she then wants to commit murder to insinuate、mm-hmm. herself into.、Yes. I thought it was really fun to sing all these different varieties. Especially there was the one party where everyone was fine, hadn't even noticed power hadn't gone out. They're、yeah. all happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really fun. That's. And then the pants to the other one where Mike and someone else are tied up and gagged to a chair. <laughs> yeah. What What the hell's going on in that one? No. Apparently there was a deleted scene where Mike was dead on the floor and they're holding a seance. So. Oh wow. There、oh, were some、wow. extreme realities that we didn't get to see. Yeah, wow. <laughs> well, my favorite scene in this movie. I feel like there were three really pivotal scenes.、Mm-hmm. Uh, the scene where they find the note that he was just written on the、mm. front door. Yeah. That was, you know, one of the the oh my god chills moment.、Mm. Uh, the scene where. The group see themselves on the street and just bolt. <laughs> It's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs>、um, and also, yes, the, the the scene where M figures out that hang on, every single person in the room is from a different reality.、Um, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. chills. Each scene chills. Yeah. It's really good. That and the scene where she and Kevin realize they're from different realities. Oh yes, I love that scene. Most cliche sci-fi moment. There's a few, I guess. Power cuts、mm-hmm. and you know, phones not working, no reception.、Uh, <laughs> but there's one cliche in these kind of time travel slash parallel dimension movies that kind of annoys me, where where something happens because your other self has. Told you to do that thing, right? 
So when they figure out the the numbers in the box, but they've already seen the box with the numbers, so it's like which one came first? Yeah, it's like a chicken and egg sort of scenario. Yeah, I know what you mean because that yeah the whole thing falls apart if that didn't happen. So yeah. It's all a bit convenient, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, I guess it's justified because there are there are like multiple versions, and at least one of them would have come up with that concept. So yeah, but so fast, or are they running at different speeds? Or well, I guess they are because there's that one reality where they haven't even had the power cut yet. Yeah, I suppose so. Maybe one reality uh, they have a different time that they have the dinner. You know, it, like there, there's so many possibilities yeah, I guess of, so. of I guess uh, so. differences. So yeah, yeah, I don't know how that works. They should have done one reality though, like uh, Rick and Morty or something, where they're just all lizard people. <laughs> <laughs> now that would have been fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I thought the biggest cliche in this movie was comets are magical. Oh, yes. Uh, they reduce people to powder or turn them into zombies, depending on their exposure level in Night of the Comet from 1984, yes, starring yes. our previous guest, Catherine Mary Stewart and Kelly Maroney. Mm-hmm. The tale of the comet brings all electrical devices to homicidal life in Stephen King's directorial debut, Maximum, Maximum Overdrive. Overdrive, yes. 1986. And they contain naked space vampires in Toby Hooper's Life Force from 1985. Oh, yes. That's a uncomfortable watch. <laughs> <laughs> naked woman for most of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it is if you're a teenage boy, a straight teenage boy. Yeah. <laughs> mm, mm. Comets. Best special effect. Well, speaking of special effects, the only special effect I can think of in this movie is the comet. Yes. Although the director won't explain how it was done. All right. Apparently it was achieved practically, but he will not say how it was done. Huh, okay. In the interview that I read, anyway. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I, it's it's convincing. Like, it's, it yeah. doesn't look, like, too flashy. Yeah. It's exactly what it needed. Yeah. Was that your special effect as well? <laughs> well, no, my favourite special effect was Kelly Donovan, which is Nicholas Brendan's twin oh, brother. his twin, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He, he's a great special effect. He just shows up and then you've got two Zanders from Buffy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, is a, it is pretty amazing because you, you just assume. It's like, oh, it's yeah. just, they've like, you know, split the screen or, you know, it's just a body double. But no. Yeah, no, it's his twin brother. He played the same role in Buffy. Apparently there was an episode in Buffy where there are two oh, Zanders. Right. Okay. Yeah. Favourite sound effect. Well, sound effect, I have to say, and this is all your fault, I am now noticing in movies when the sound of something being smashed is wrong. Oh, yes. And I never noticed it before, but ever since you pointed this out on a previous episode, I'm spotting it everywhere. So, yes, the scene at the end of the movie, when M shatters a windscreen, it sounds like somebody has dropped a wine bottle. It sounds totally wrong. All right. And and I really notice it now. <laughs> I didn't I didn't think that sound was too bad, actually. I did you not? Okay. Yeah. I did hear with the director, he did... They spent a lot of time on sound design on this movie. Mm. They, they getting the sound right, making it sound realistic and not too cinematic. And you never feel detracted from the movie because of the sound. Um, mm. My favorite sound is is the uh, the phone cracking sound, the, right. the the screen smashing, like self smashing. Um, <laughs> it's just like it's such a I don't know distinct like sound yeah. that you would only expect from a phone. Yeah. Most funniest moment. I have to say the moment when I laughed the most was when Amir got very, very excited and disturbed by the fact that a photograph of him showed him in a black, nondescript v-neck sweater and he said, I bought that sweater today. This photograph was taken today. And I thought, really? 
You've only got one black V-neck sweater? <laughs> really? Yeah, I know. No. <laughs> oh, you should see his closet. It's it's just full of multicoloured, patterned... <laughs> but he picked the one night when he get, got trapped in a, a multiverse of alternate parallel dimensions to mm. wear the most boring, nondescript <laughs> item of clothing yeah. that he could purposefully go out to buy for that evening. Maybe he doesn't have anything else that's suitable for a dinner party. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe. Maybe. Never but know. But it did make me laugh. I thought, at least wear something distinctive that everybody can go, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, that made me laugh. <laughs> and that concludes our Move the Awards. Hi, this is Duncan Skiles, director of The Clofitch Killer, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette. Okay, it's final verdict time. Should coherence be expelled from the never-ending parallel universe vortex to be adored by everyone, or should it be made to write strongly worded notes over and over again in the depths (laughs) of the blackest part of the oubliette forgotten forever? Brian, you have presented us with coherence. What were your final thoughts? Should people watch this movie? I still think this is an excellent movie upon watching it for the third time. I I really like what they did with it on such a low budget. And even on such a low budget, I think conceptually, it is still a very entertaining, thought-provoking movie. Uh, I I support this movie uh, 100%. Yep. I can't say I'm uh, surprised. What did you think, Dan? Yeah, I really love this movie. I, I think I actually enjoyed it the second time around. Uh, more than the first mm. time around. It, repeat watches, uh, it, it gets better. It does get better. And I think people maybe not accustomed to lower budget movies might find the filming style a little bit annoying or the conversational style different to like a normal structured movie. But it's a really well thought out film. Mm. And I, I did really appreciate the improv. Uh, I love the ending. And uh, I look forward to more movies from this director, James Ward Burkett. Um, mm. Yeah, this is his only film, I believe. Yeah, so far. So make more movies, James. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> yes, I'm of the same mind. I think it works on both levels. If you like a movie where, you know, there's a, a puzzle that you have to work out and something that you can talk about with your friends for hours afterwards and, and really sort of deconstruct and figure out who is in which house when and draw yourself a diagram on a whiteboard. <laughs> you can go to town on this movie. But if you just want something that's really thrilling and tense and has a good few twists along the way and an exciting finale it works on that level too so i was really impressed with it i thought they did the best they could with a very very small budget in fact Mm. they made a virtue out of it soundtrack's great the cinematography is is documentary style but not shaky cam irritating yeah i really enjoyed it and i enjoyed watching it twice in quick succession because i kept seeing more and more each time so yeah it's a thumbs up from me too yeah and and if if you like Buffy, just watch this movie. You know, it's got Xander in it. <laughs> it's got something for everybody. Yeah. It does, yeah. Okay, so let's open the door to nowhere and let it go. I think we should go check on our cars. Bye Be now. free. Bye-bye. Well, thanks so much, Brian, for joining us on this journey to parallel dimensions <laughs> and talking about doppelgangers <laughs> where can our listeners find you on the interwebs where can they talk all things tv trivia sure sure i'm the host of the podcast tv trivia pod where again i ask uh questions from tv shows and uh gonna be start doing movies soon uh you can follow me at tv trivia pod on facebook instagram and twitter and find the podcast uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Great. Great. Well, I definitely recommend following Brian and his podcast. And if you want to follow us, we are available on all social media outlets as Movie Oubliette. That's on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And you can email us. I know it sounds a bit old these days, but we do have an email address, <laughs> movie.oubliette 
oubliet at gmail.com. And if you'd like to sponsor us like our new patron Eva, you can head on over to Patreon, where for as little as a dollar you can nominate future films for us to cover, and for five dollars you can get access to our exclusive minisodes where we talk about more recent films that we've seen that aren't in the oubliet because people have heard of them. <laughs> yes, yes, yes indeed. And if you haven't already, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or, or whatever other podcast platform you are using. Mm, yes, it helps spread the good word. Yes, increases our cult following. Indeed. If, if we even have one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, Conrad, what are we doing next episode? Well, we're going to be covering a really strange, sort of hard-to-define genre-wise movie. Is it a fantasy? Is it a comedy? What the hell is it? It is the 1992 American, I don't know, <laughs> film. <laughs> Toys. Oh, okay. I I've heard of this movie. I know yeah. Robin Williams was in it. Uh and that's it. Yes, same here. Yeah. Robin Williams, Michael Gambon, Joan Cusack, Robin Wright, and LL Cool J. <laughs> <laughs> In the yeah. prime of his movie career. It's the 90s. Yeah. Directed by Barry Levinson. All I remember about this is it being like a personal project that bombed hard. So oh, wow. I'm fascinated. I've yeah never encountered it. So this should be interesting. Mm. <laughs> and it has been chosen by our special guest that will be yes. joining us. I know. I'm looking forward to that. Yes. It's always interesting when we get a guest who nominates something that we've never even thought of. So, yeah, <laughs> should be fun. Hopefully he can uh, explain it to us. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Thanks again to you, Brian, from TV Trivia Pod for joining us on this episode. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun to be here to talk coherence. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, yeah, this was a blast. Until next time, listeners. Goodbye. See you guys later. Bye. We review the films others tend to forget. Come with us and don't not the movie you yet. If there are a million different realities, I have slept with your wife in every one of them.